So, on a normal Sunday, uh, I like to have my sermon done and the manuscript sent to the interpreters and the slides finished and the program notes turned in. I like to get it done early, sometimes even maybe a couple weeks in advance. And I happen to know that this Sunday, um, my wife Micken was working. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be I mean, I'm going to be buttoned up. Everything's going to be ready. I came in on Friday. I had all the slides ready. I mean, everything was, I mean, I was just on point with sermon preparation this week. And then I woke up this morning and I pulled out my notes because I always wake up and I, I read through my notes and I'm just reading through them and I'm like, oh man, this isn't good. It's just the stuff I wrote. I mean, I, it probably wouldn't have been bad. It might have been, but it just, and I was like, Carl, you can't. You can't make any changes. It's, it's Sunday morning. You already turned the slides in and sent the notes to the interpreter. And you gotta, you got to have all four of the kids. But I didn't, you know, uh, I decided to change things up. So that's my way of saying, hey, if you downloaded the program notes uh, from this week at Centennial, or if you want to check in on the app, uh, the Bible app, and get the notes there, that's great. I would encourage you to do that, but what you see there is not going to match very well with what you see on the screen today. Rather, what you're going to see is going to match this right here. My lovely, just really well-crafted sermon notes for this morning, Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Either God's up to something and he's going to do something great, or I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry for a bad sermon, but you'll be gracious God will either transform you through your patience and grace or through his power working in the moment. One of those two. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, So we're in a sermon series. We're talking about our mission statement. Um, And the goal of this sermon series is to say, who are we? What's our identity as a church? There's a lot of different... Uh, there's a lot of different kinds of churches out there, churches with different types of ministries, different, uh, you know, within the realm of Christianity, different beliefs, different styles of worship. There's a lot of different types of churches out there. Uh, and we just want to look at our church mission statement as, as a way to remind us this is the core of who we are. All sorts of things come and go and change about what we do as a church. Our styles of ministry, our focuses on missions might come and go and change. But this, I think, is the core. I hope this core of who we are never changes. And as we talk about that as a church, in fact, that's what we hope about for us as our lives. We know that different things that we do, different habits, attitudes, behaviors, uh, activities in our lives might come and go. And those things might change. But our identity the person that God has made us to be, that is something that never changes, that God is always transforming us more and more into the person he made us to be. So as a reminder, our mission statement says, CCC exists to glorify God by following Jesus. We are a Jesus-following church. Everything we do, our hope, I I hope we get it right 100% of the time. We probably don't get it right 100% of the time, but Everything we do, our hope, our intention is to say, this is a way to follow Jesus individually and collectively. We glorify God by following Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we do that on a shared journey. The work we're, this journey we're on, this, this summit we're seeking to, you know, achieve in our lives. Maybe we never quite get there this side of heaven, but it's not something we're meant to do alone. We want to share the journey. And today I want to talk about the nature of this journey we're on, 
Because this is a journey that for every person, no matter how young, no matter how old, whether this is your first, first day of following Jesus or you've been following Jesus for decades, this is a journey of transformation. This is a journey where God is going to invite you from where you're at right now to become different than you're at right now, away from the broken and hurting parts of who we are and into the person that God designed us to be. And now my next slide isn't showing, so I don't even know if what is here is on there. It's great. Transformation. Okay, that's fine. Katrina, we're just going to, you and me, we're going to, this is going to be great. We're going to figure this out. Pro presenters having issues. Uh, pray for technology. All the things. Um, I'm just going to go, and Katrina, I'll trust. You'll, you'll figure it out. CC exists. Clarify God. All right, so we're talking about transformation. There's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big word that I think often gets hype. And if you're like me, even when I wrote the word transformation on the screen, sometimes the first thought that comes to my mind is like, all right, great. Transformation. We're going to talk about it. We're going to get excited. But then, you know what? Nothing's going to happen. I mean, let's be honest. We'll just talk about it. And I, maybe I'm more cynical than you, and if so, I'm sorry. But um, here's what we're going to do today. Uh, I want to talk about an interaction that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. If you want to go and read the passage, it's John chapter 3, uh, probably the first 21 verses. We're just going to look at a few of them, but you can kind of read with. Um, and Jesus has an encounter with Nicodemus that I think shows us uh, three really critical, um, I don't know, critical ideas that we need to understand if we want God's transformation to be realized in our lives. Here's the three things that I want to talk about from John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. We're going to learn about identity. We're going to learn about confession. And we're going to learn about dependence. I think in order for us to be people transformed by God, we need to understand our identity. That's what we're doing. Good. All right. We're already talking about that in the sermon series. We're going to keep doing it. We need to understand and practice confession. And we need to have a posture of dependence. If you are one of the people that printed out the program notes and these words aren't on it, go ahead and write those three words down. If you're at home and you want to get some paper, maybe get your journal out, maybe take one of the colorings that your kids put on the fridge and just flip it over and write on the back of that. Um, identity, confession, and dependence are the three things we're going to talk about. So here's, uh, here's the beginning of the text in John chapter 3 where we meet Jesus and, and, the, and his conversation with Nicodemus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. Now, I want to note a whole bunch of things about Nicodemus. It's really interesting. So first of all, we get some uh, notes about who he is and some things that maybe would reveal his identity to us. We find out that he is a Jewish man, so already he has a connection with Jesus. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and Nicodemus is a Jewish man. But not just any Jewish man, he is a Pharisee, which means he is one of the most well-educated most religiously kind of in the know on the religious in-group uh, people of the day. And if you're familiar with the stories of the gospel, you know that many times Jesus gets in some 
some, some tense moments with the Pharisees. Jesus has some harsh words for the Pharisees at many times. So Jesus here is speaking with a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who's very well educated, who probably has high status. And that high status is confirmed because we also know Nicodemus is a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he is an elite, known, probably the whole city has some knowledge of who Nicodemus is because he has high status. He is a man who's used to things going his way because he has a lot of control and influence over the world around him. But it's also interesting because while Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he's part of the Jewish ruling class and that group often has conflict with Jesus, that's maybe even highlighted by the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. It could be that Nicodemus is like, I don't, I don't want you know, the other people on the Jewish ruling council. I don't want them to know I'm talking to Jesus because I might, you know, I don't know, they might like demote me from my position or they might get mad at me. So he's going to come at night. But even though there could be some argument, the first words out of Nicodemus's mouth are rabbi, which is a term of respect. And rabbi, I know that you must be a teacher from God because nobody can say the things you say or do the things you do if it weren't that God is with them. So we're kind of like, well, okay, Nicodemus, which is it going to be? Are you at odds with Jesus? Or are you open to Jesus? This whole story starts with a little bit of tension. And that tension is characterized by what I kind of want to reference. It's characterized in Nicodemus's life, but I, I think we see it in our lives. It's referenced by something that we can maybe call Jesus or. Right? Oh, there we go. Now I can see what's, now, now I got the slides. Thank you. Thank you for fixing that. Love it. Um, Jesus, or Nicodemus, is glad about his position in the Jewish world, but he's interested in Jesus, and he's not quite ready, though. So he comes at night, and Nicodemus is in a place where he's like, what am I really going to do with my life? Am I going to trust in, am I going to follow Jesus, or am I going to trust in, am I going to follow somebody else? I wonder if we've ever had an experience like this. I wonder if you've ever been in a place where you've got a decision to make, where you've got a, a direction to choose for your life, where you've got something pretty significant to go on, and you think, you think to yourself, you know what? I could make this decision because of where Jesus leads me. Maybe that makes it easier. Maybe that makes it harder. I could make this decision because of Jesus' influence. Or I could make this decision because of any one of a number of other influences. Transformation... Our journey of transformation can really be summarized as being a journey of making the decision on a daily basis. Am I going to trust Jesus? Or, I wonder how you would fill in the blank with the things that follow that little word, or. What are the other things that we often look to for transformation instead of looking to our Lord and Savior Jesus? Well, so it's really interesting because Nicodemus comes and he kind of he compliments Jesus, right? He's like, hey, you know, you must be a teacher, you're a rabbi, you're a person of God. And, and I think we can read into it that Nicodemus wants to sort of field test the waters. Say like, Jesus, kind of where are we at? You know, how are we doing? Uh, what's this conversation going to be? And Jesus says, you know what, Nicodemus, we're not, we're not going to test the waters. Jesus kind of cuts straight to the chase. It says, Nicodemus, I want you to jump with me into the deep end. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, here's the thing. I've got two words for you. If you want to see the kingdom of God, Nicodemus didn't ask about the kingdom of God, but Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, I've got two things 
that I want you to realize. There's two things that need to happen. One, you must be born again. Born again. This is where, you know, in evangelical Christianity in America, we sort of grabbed onto this word born again. Jesus only mentions it once in all the Gospels. This is the one time. Jesus says, you must be born again. And then he explains that in a little more, and he says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus' whole interaction with Nicodemus is really unpacking these two phrases that he just stated. And, and unpacking these two phrases give us kind of our three keys to transformation this morning. So first of all, you must be born again. Um, really interesting term because it's actually a term that I think Nicodemus would have been really familiar with as a Jewish man. See, anytime a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, anytime a Gentile became part of the Jewish religious community, was converted to Judaism, they were referred to as being like a newborn child. They were, they were brand new babies in the faith. And what we know about babies is they are completely dependent. They don't have what it takes to take care of themselves. They need to rely on somebody else to take care of them. And so Nicodemus would have been really familiar with this term, being born again, but it would have been really strange for him because Nicodemus would have never applied that concept to himself. See, because, yeah, when you become a Jew, when you become a new member of the community, then you're born again. But I'm Nicodemus. I'm a Pharisee. I'm wise and educated. I'm on the ruling council. I'm powerful. I have status. I've got things figured out. So, yeah, those other people over there, I can see how they might need to be born again. They might need to see themselves as being like a little child. But, you know, Jesus, surely you're not talking to me. That's fine idea for somebody. Have you ever done that? in your life, where you realize something good and true and right is going on, and you're more than happy to look around and point out the other people who really need that wisdom, that guidance, that truth in their life. But it seems like it just doesn't apply to yourself. Here's uh, what I think was going on in Nicodemus's life. Uh, Nicodemus found his identity pretty strongly in some of these groups he was part of, in some of the status he had achieved, he found his identity in his wisdom as a highly educated Pharisee, in his power and control as a, a member of the Jewish council. And Jesus was inviting him to say, I need you to find your identity somewhere else. Let me ask you this question, or maybe let me ask you, invite you to make this a question you ask yourself. Is Christ my Identity. See, I think we're actually a lot like Nicodemus. Even though coming to church and reading scripture and being part of this community is a significant part of our life. We even will do it online if we can't be here in person. Sometimes people are traveling literally around the world and they'll join us online because it merely matters. But we often take our connection to Christ, the true, the single, the foundational thing, and instead of making it the core of our identity, we want to add on to it. All sorts of other things. In a sense, you could be, before I said it's Jesus or, but sometimes we actually like the Jesus and. Yeah, 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 my identity's in Christ and. What are the things you fill in the blank? When you're thinking about who you are, can you honestly say that your identity is first and foremost in Christ? Let me just highlight one really uh, immediate and, and challenging, heavy reality. Um, we're still living in a pandemic. 
And Christians have disagreed and said hateful, divisive, mean words to one another about whether or not we should wear masks and whether or not we should social distance. And we're currently doing with our schools about whether or not, you know, kids and masks and what should our schools do. These are really, really important questions, and they matter. But we look around this room, and we know that some of us are choosing to wear masks, and some of us are choosing not to wear masks. As Christians, I'm watching my friends, and I know that you're watching your friends, or maybe not your friends, just people around you, saying, okay, yeah, yeah, my identity's in Christ, but ooh, only if you agree with me on when or whether or where to wear a mask. Only if you agree with me about whether the science of masks is reliable or whether it's unreliable. Nicodemus wanted his identity to be found in his wisdom and in his power and in his status. And Christ said, no, 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 you need to be born again. We all start as learners, as infants as like newborn children when our identity is rooted firmly in Christ. First thing, if we want transformation, like Lisa said at the beginning, we need to do the ongoing endless work of saying, where do I get my identity from? And do I get it only, first, foremost, far beyond everything else in Christ? Well, Nicodemus isn't going to just let this be. Jesus says, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't know about this. So he has a follow-up question. He says to Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I'm guessing that wasn't like a test Nicodemus ran and found out it's impossible. I'm guessing this is just general knowledge. Adults cannot enter back into their mother's room. Please do not run that test, anybody. But rather, Nicodemus, some people read this and they're like, did did Nicodemus, did he just not understand? Is he just not following? It It could be that he didn't understand. Here's what I think happened. I think Nicodemus actually perfectly understood exactly what Jesus was saying. I think Nicodemus understood that Jesus just challenged him to abandon the position and power he held dear to and instead submit himself to to this kind of humbling term. And Nicodemus said, yeah, 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 but wait a minute. I'm already part of the family. I'm already well-established as a member of God's people. I am old. When Nicodemus says, how can an old person go back into the womb? He's pointing to himself. I'm mature. I've been part of the family. I've been, I've been in for a long time. You surely can't talk, be talking about me. But here's the second really powerful thing about this image of being born again. Yes, Nicodemus's Jewish faith is significant. We still teach from, actually, in the fall, we're going to teach through the book of Joshua, one of the great Stort narratives of the Old Testament. And, and we honor and celebrate our Jewish heritage as Jesus followers. But Jesus is starting a new family, which only reinforces no matter what identity we see ourselves in. We identify ourselves in all sorts of ways. We identify ourselves in political groups. We identify ourselves in socioeconomic groups. We identify ourselves in our careers and what business we're part of. We identify ourselves with our academic institutions. We identify ourselves in all sorts of different ways. And those things might all be fine, but Jesus' invitation is to say far above, superior to, more important than any other identity, we are part 
of the family of God. We are identified as children with the same father, brothers and sisters to one another. If you want transformation, question number one is where do you find your identity? Do you find it in Jesus or do you find it in Jesus and? Jesus then unpacks it with with a second phrase. um, What does this really mean to be born again? And and he says, he kind of adds two ideas. Um, In answer to Nicodemus' question, he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So whatever it means to join this new family, it means being born of water and the Spirit. I want to talk about each of these two words for a second. First of all, water. Water is a a metaphor, it's an image, a symbol that's universally recognized. It's universally recognized as a symbol for life. We know that we need water to live. We know that when we're hot and weary, a cup of water is refreshing and replenishing to our souls and to our bodies in a beautiful way. So water is first a general reference to life. We actually talked about this many times in the past week. This was my sabbatical theme this summer and last summer was, what does it mean to really live into the abundant life God wants to give us? So being part of God's family means people who are living in that abundant life. But second, I think it's also a pretty clear reference to a practice that was foundational from day one of Jesus' public ministry, which is baptism. And baptism was actually part of a long narrative in scriptures, sort of coming through the waters, started with the flood of Noah when the earth was baptized. It, it continued when the Israelites were freed from Egypt and they had to go through the waters to come out of their old life and into the new life. And similarly, when Jesus began his public ministry, he himself was baptized, and that's when the Spirit of God came down. And the baptism that Jesus taught included two foundational practices that really went together. Confession and repentance. And confession and repentance weren't simply practices to remind us that we're bad and tell us that, oh, we should try to be not bad, but they were practices designed to orient us towards our one identity of Christ and orient us away from any other identity that we're drawn to. And confession is a pretty radical practice in our society. See, because my read of our society is that we love to celebrate the good in one another, and that's wonderful. I think we should celebrate the good in one another. We even love to sort of embrace every possible aspect of life. People, I think people in our world are very hesitant to say that there are deep ingrained brokennesses That's a word. I'm sure that's a word. There's deep ingrained brokenness in our hearts. Instead, we want to kind of shy away from that and just say, no, 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 it's it's just all good. Well, the Christian story says, you know what? We just can't help but acknowledge that the world around us is broken and our very hearts are broken. And even though Christ is on a journey of transforming us from brokenness to his wholeness, we still mess it up time and time and time again. And so if we want transformation... If we want to be born of water and the Spirit, then we have to ask ourselves, how often do I practice confession? Like we just did earlier this morning when Laura invited us to reflect on the things we do that separate us from God 
If we want to see God's transformation in our lives, we must regularly pause and say, God, I'm going to acknowledge the ways that my sin and brokenness is separating me from who you want me to be. Is my identity found in Christ or am I adding other things onto it? How often am I practicing confession as a way to get in line with the work Jesus wants to do? And the third thing is we need to be born of water and the Spirit. Because Jesus taught many times that when we do confess our sins, repent and turn towards Christ, when we submit ourselves to the water of baptism and we die to our old selves and we come alive in Christ, God himself, through his Spirit, will be in us and with us. David just mentioned that the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It's a beautiful word. It's translated as spirit many times. It can also be translated to mean breath, the very breath in our lungs. But Jesus, wanting Nicodemus to understand what he means by water and the spirit, expands on it with a third definition of the word pneuma. He says we need to be baptized of water and the spirit. And then he goes on to say, the wind blows wherever it pleases. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying the Spirit of God is like the wind. The same word understood in two different definitions. The wind blows wherever it wants. When we confess and when we turn our hearts and minds toward Christ, we say, Christ, I want your identity to be the defining thing in my life, Here's the challenge that he gives to Nicodemus and that he gives to us. Here's the thing about the wind. You cannot control the wind. Which means the transformation God wants to do in your life is not something you and it's not something I get to control. It's not something I can work hard on making sure it's happened. Rather, it's something I need to trust God will do, even, I hesitate to say it, even if it's not the transformation I actually would like it to be, but it's the transformation God wants to do in my heart and in my mind and in my life. See, we live in a country that in our history and in our culture celebrates, and in in many ways it's good and appropriate, but we celebrate our independence, We celebrate people who are self-sufficient, who make a way for themselves, who work hard so that they achieve what they are able to achieve. But if really we're transformed by the wind which blows wherever it wants and we can't control it, the question Jesus wants us to ask is not, am I independent, but do I have a posture of dependence? And I get that our historical, political celebration of of independence is really a different world than a biblical understanding of personal or communal transformation, but my fear is that we, as we so often do, let these different areas leak into one another and overlap and run amok of one another. The invitation of Christ is to live a life of dependence, like a baby who literally cannot feed itself, who literally can't even fall asleep at the right time. If it needs to, it needs a parent to do everything for it. And Jesus' invitation, if we want his transformation, is to learn to find our identity in him, to practice confession, and to be continually taking on a posture of dependence. 
We know Nicodemus would have been very uncomfortable with it because he was used to things going the way he wanted them to do. He was used to exerting control over his environment. And Jesus said, will you give up that control and instead recognize that God alone has it? God's transformation happens when we let him transform us, not when we try to transform ourselves. So as always, we have to ask ourselves, what's your move going to be? First question, where do you need transformation? I don't know if something specific I just said sparked something in your head or in your heart, or maybe as I was talking, your mind went somewhere else. There's just a different thing going on in your life. I don't know if there's attitudes in your heart that God's saying need to be transformed. I don't know if there's ideas in your head that God's saying we need to change your thinking. We need to change the language you speak to yourself. I don't know if there's habits or activities that you're engaged in that you know are broken and harmful. Where is it that God is inviting you for transformation? Where do you need transformation? I can't answer that question for you. That's something that only you and God can answer together, that your most trusted friends and community can help you wrestle through. But let me suggest a few realms, just to echo what we've talked about in the past. Um, last Sunday, we talked about the church had four characteristics that are true, time, you know, generation to generation. The church is marked by scripture, community, generosity, and prayer. Let me just poke into those a little bit as we think about transformation. In regards to scripture, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to put some lists up. I'm going to ask some questions. And again, I don't know where God might or might not, might or might not be challenging your transformation, but here's some areas to think about. When it comes to scripture, here's the way I kind of think about it. Um, if I look at my life, if I look across my days and my weeks, and I think, okay, scripture is central. The, the covenant says the centrality of the word of God. If I were to audit all of the content that I'm consuming day to day, what am I consuming more of in the average week? Am I consuming more media of any sort or more scripture? If I were to get two jars of water and put one cup in for every hour of social media or news media I consumed and one cup in for every hour of scripture I consumed in a week, I'll just leave it there. I'll be honest, I know what my answer is. I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would really want to put my own jars up on this table. Community. We know transformation happens on a shared journey when we're together. When you think about your connection to the community of faith, what adjective would you choose to describe your connectedness, your sharing of this journey, your connectedness to the community of faith? Would you say it's shallow? It's tenuous, kind of come and go? Would you say it's strong? Would you say, oh my gosh, my connection to the community of faith, it is life-giving. What adjective would you attach to your connection to the community of faith on this shared journey of transformation? When you think about generosity, you say, God, everything I have is yours. I literally can't even, I'm dependent on you for the oxygen in my lungs You created all of the sheep on all of the hills, which means every dollar I earn in my life, I didn't earn it. You gave it to me. You gave me the gifts I had when I think everything that I have in my life has been 100% given to me. The very breath I have, I'm dependent on God in order to earn whatever I've got. Okay, how is my generosity? 
Do I need to be transformed in generosity? Would I say that I am generous never? All I do is I close fist, hold tight what I've been given. I'm generous rarely. Am I generous periodically? Or am I generous intentionally? Maybe even consistently. Maybe even, as Scripture often teaches, proportionally. Is God inviting you to find transformation in your generosity? And then, of course, like we said last week, the foundation of all transformation is prayer. It's our relational connection to God. God doesn't want us to just know about him. God doesn't want us to just talk about him. God wants us to be directly connected in a relationship, in a daily conversation with him. How would you describe your connection to God through prayer? Is it non-existent? Is it formulaic? Is it tumultuous? It feels more like a bad college relationship than, you know, a, a loving, transformative relationship with the creator of heaven and earth? Is it life-giving? Is it like a close, trusted friend? Again, I ask these questions not because I have an answer for you, but because I think there's part of all of who we are that God wants to transform us into more of who he made us to be. And that's going to happen when we find our identity in Christ alone. When we practice confession to remind ourselves we need God to do the work and when we take a posture of dependence on the work that God is trying to do in our lives. What power are you trusting for that transformation? I talked uh, last week about canoeing. Uh, and then actually later in the week I, I brought my canoe and I went down to the Platte River and it was great. But here's the thing about canoeing. I'm just like railing on canoeing, I guess. I'm, I'm railing on solo canoeing. Here's the thing about canoeing. As a way to, to move a boat through water, canoeing is a sport built entirely on trusting in your own power. The way you get a boat to go forward when you're paddling is you just take all the strength, all of the effort, all the energy you got, and that is the only thing that gets you forward. If you want to be a faster canoer, the only way to do that is to make yourself stronger. I want to contrast that with something else. Um, when I was in high school, I uh, uh, every summer went on a three-day sailing trip with two of my good buddies, Dan and BJ. Now, the first summer we did this, Dan and BJ had never been sailing before, but I was like, don't worry, guys. I got you. I'm going to teach you how to sail. Why'd you laugh? What, did you think the story's going to go somewhere bad? Uh. So it turns out that our first day on our first sailing trip ever, Dan and BJ have never been sailing before. Turns out it's really, really windy. The wind is blowing very strong, but that's fine. I've been sailing a lot. I'm a great sailor. I'm a sophomore in high school. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Why did my parents let me do this? Mom, what were you thinking? I think my mom's probably watching online. Hi, Mom. So <clears throat> here's the way it works when you're sailing. If there's a, if there's a high wind, you want to start. Well, you, you first you motor out of the, off the dock. You motor out. And you start motoring straight into the wind. Because when you're pulling the sail up, if you're sideways to the wind, the wind's going to grab onto the sail. And you're not going to be able to pull it all the way up. So you want to be going straight into the wind so that you can get the sail all the way up. Well, we're doing that, and 
we get the mainsail all the way up. And there's this really fun moment where you're going in the wind and the, the sail's kind of going, right, because the wind's going straight into it. So, it's a, that's a technical sailing term. Um, and right after the sail's all the way up, you turn a little bit so the wind hits at an angle to the sail and you just feel the power of the wind. Fill the sail. And the boat heels over to the side and suddenly the power of the wind starts moving you um, down the lake. Well, we'd been sailing a little bit and we're like, all right, we got the main sail up. Let's put the jib up, which is the big sail on the front of the boat. Let's put the jib up. We're really going to get this boat moving. So again, it's really windy and there might have been a better way to do it. But what I did is I turned back head into the wind so that I could get the jib all the way up. And I get the jib all the way up and I go to turn back. But the rope at the bottom of the jib gets caught on a cleat or something on the deck. So the boat's starting to turn, but the jib is stuck, and it's still doing the thing. And I'm like, shoot, I'm in the back holding the rudder. And Dan and BJ aren't really, they've never sailed before. I can't be like, hey, take the rudder. You'll be fine. It's like, okay, Dan, run up to the front of the boat and grab the rope and free it from where it's stuck so that the, the jib comes loose and we can start sailing. Dan's like, okay, I got it. So he runs up, and the, the sail's doing it. And so he's kind of like, ah. And so he's like trying to avoid the sail. And he grabs the rope, and he frees it. But he, he stood on the wrong side of the sail. So once he freed the rope, and the wind caught the sail, it just hits him. And then on top of that, like we said, when the wind hits the sail... The boat heals, it turns even more, and Dan tumbles across the deck and manages to literally like wrap himself around. There's these little metal poles called safety poles. <laughs> and he like wraps around it and he's hanging off. So I'm like, ah, BJ, just hold the rudder straight. And I run up and I grab Dan and I help him up and we go back. And now we laugh about that story all the time. In sailing, we know that the wind is powerful. But if our sails and our boat aren't aligned properly to catch that wind, it can actually end up being a little bit dangerous in our lives when we try to go the wrong direction and fight against the wind, the direction the wind wants us to go. But if we can get our lives aligned to the wind, which still requires knowledge and work and skill and expertise. You've got to put the boat in the right direction. There's a lot of things you've got to do, but the boat isn't moving because of your power. The boat is moving because you've aligned yourself to the power of the wind. So here's my invitation. Where is it that God wants to do transformation in your life? Wherever it is, as you think across your days and your weeks, your rhythms, your habits, your community, all the things going on in your life, uh, here's, here's my advice based on the words of Jesus. Remember, uh, remember, oh, the dramatic, we had like a dramatic bam, and it's all right. It's all right. Remember, um, don't be a paddler. Be a sailor. So that the power of God's spirit is doing the transformation in your life. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you want to bring transformation. Wherever we experience hurt or heartache, 
death or brokenness, sin, addiction, too much independence and self-sufficiency, whatever it is that you want to transform in us, thank you, God, that your power is sufficient. And we pray that you would help us, God, to line up our lives so that your spirit might be the power we trust in. Amen.